Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm a very excited Livius Nedden tonight. <laughs> um, I believe that we have waited over eight years for this book. Yeah, uh, I think. It, and, and the thing is, I think the, the predecessor book is one of the one. It was one of the first times that we got that excited about a book. Like it was one of those original moments in the podcast. Yeah, I, I didn't go back and listen because, let's face it, some of those early episodes are really brutal and hard to listen to. But I do know that at that point, we had read Aaron Morgan Stern's first book, The Night Circus. And this was, uh, we posted it uh, at the end of September 2011, our review of it. And I know that I liked that book so much. And that was our first book that I, you know, thought to myself, we probably said this on the podcast or not to each other at some point. Like, I can't wait to see what she does next. Yep. And now the time has come to find out if that wait was worth it or not. We're going to be reviewing the starless sea by Aaron Morgan Stern, which dropped today um, here in the United States. Uh, I believe it may have dropped a little earlier overseas. Not sure. There's a, we did not acquire these books through normal sources. We'll get into that a little bit later, (laughs) Uh, but that's how excited we were. That's how excited we were to get it. So, uh, here's a very succinct bio. Aaron Morgenstern is the author of The Night Circus, a number one national bestseller that has been sold around the world and translated into 37 languages. She has a degree in theater from Smith College and lives in Massachusetts. Yeah, that's a good bio. Straight to the point. Sorry, I was struggling with this first part of the synopsis that I'm about to read because I don't think it's true. Uh did you read this? I did not. I'm looking at it right now. All right. Livius and I just, I can't believe I'm cut. I'm editing like seven seconds into this because the synopsis is really strange and it really took me, uh, caught me off guard, but, uh, we're going to do my best to make sure that it's not confusing to the people that I'm reading it to from the New York times, bestselling author of the night circus comes a timeless love story set in a secret underground world. A place of pirates, painters, lovers, liars, and ships that sail upon a starless sea. Zachary Ezra Rollins is a graduate student in Vermont when he discovers a mysterious book hidden in the stacks. As he turns the pages, entranced by tales of lovelorn prisoners, key collectors, and nameless acolytes, he reads something strange, a story from his own childhood. Bewildered by this inexplicable book and desperate to make sense of how his own life came to be recorded, Zachary uncovers a series of clues a bee, a key, and a sword that lead him to a masquerade party in New York, to a secret club, and through a doorway to an ancient library hidden far below the surface of the earth. What Zachary finds in this curious place is more than just a buried home for books and their guardians. It's a place of lost cities and seas, lovers who pass notes under doors and across time, and of stories whispered by the dead. Zachary learns of those who have sacrificed much to protect this realm, relinquishing their sight and their tongues to preserve this archive, and also of those who are intent on its destruction. Together with Mirabelle, a fierce pink-haired protector of the place, and Dorian, a handsome barefoot man with shifting alliances, Zachary travels the twisting tunnels, darkened stairwells, crowded ballrooms, and sweetly soaked shores of this magical world, discovering his purpose in both the mysterious book and in his own life. 
think that's about all we can say about the plot of this book without spoiling <laughs> it for anybody. So let's uh, let's go ahead and just give it a wrap up. Um, yeah, that is a uh, that's a, very, a lot. Yeah, it's a very elaborate um, synopsis, but uh, fairly uh, fairly on the nose. I think I didn't find too much in there that I was in disagreement with which seems to be a trend lately that we find we're like man i don't know about this <laughs> synopsis i think it's pretty good if uh if not lengthy for the brevity of the bio the synopsis made up for, for i'm just short. i'm just proud of how i did that all in you know like you the most most of it was all in one unbroken yeah. take so uh pretty proud of myself for that <laughs> um so uh, before we start talking about the plot of the book, I want to point out a little bit about the the way that it's uh, broken up into different sections. Um, so the book is in, I think it's six parts, and um, each part has its own name. In the beginning, the parts are named after books that are important in the story. And so, for example, the first part is called Sweet Sorrows, and the perspective or I guess the chapter breaks or chapter changes or whatever you want to call it in that section of the book alternate between um, excerpts from the actual book, sweet sorrows that uh, is, is part of the story. Um, So you're reading actually from that book. And then the other parts are what's happening to the characters in the overall story. So um, the reason for this is that there's several books that are, are very significant to the story and understanding what's in those books informs uh, the the general plot. So the first, I think, three sections directly tie into books. And then um, the format shifts a little bit later in the book. But uh, it's kind of neat You start because you start out. If it, it, it seemed a little disjointed at first because you're just getting little snippets of this and then it jumps to something else. And then you're, you're, you're reading about the main characters. Um, but it's kind of cool to as we're reading this overall story kind of dip away into an entirely different narrative, um, as, as part of the story. Yeah, for sure. It's really smartly done. And like Rob said, there, there's alternation. So the very, you know, first thing you read is a, a snippet of a story, and then you go into what we'll say, you know, our story, right? Like the current story that we're in. And then you go like a different story that seems unrelated, but they all kind of sort of wind up tying together through the course of 500 plus pages. So you wind up um, what at first does seem um, disjointed. And I, I was concerned. I was um, I was concerned after those first three or four short stories that what we were going to read is literally like five pages of today, one fable. Five pages of today, another fable, and that this was going to repeat for, you know, like I said, 500, 498 pages or, or whatever this copy is that, that we have. Um, uh, not the case. They do start to make more sense um, versus one another, you know, than, than than you would think at the beginning. Yeah. So uh, I, I'd like to start out just talking about the main character, Zachary. I'm not going to say his entire name every time. However... I will say that, and I don't know if this uh, stood out to you, Livius. Um, I would say sixty to seventy-five percent of the time that character is mentioned, it's his full name, Zachary Ezra Rollins, 
Um, and I think it's only in like, so like it, if it's the beginning of the paragraph, mm-hmm. it's full name. And then if it's again mentioned later, it's just Zachary. But like mm-hmm. that full name is used a ton in the book, which was, do you have a thought on that? Like uh, why that might be? Um, so I, I seem to remember, and I'm flipping through this paper copy. I say that for anybody's listening that understands that reading a paper copy, 500 page book is not my favorite thing in the world. Um, <laughs> It seems like other chapters, so there are chapters, and it's mentioned, um, Dorian's mentioned in the thing, too, that um, chapters that start with him also start with his name, but that's all we have for him is Dorian. Mm. So it may not stand out as much. Okay. If that makes sense. Like, I yeah. just flipped through, like, three chapters, and, and, you know, later on in the book, you'll know what I'm talking about, where where we start to see things a little bit more through Dorian's eyes. And it seems like a lot of those start with Dorian. Okay. So, so that's just the style mm-hmm. yep. that she chose to write in. Yep. Only in today though, because I don't think that happens in any of the, 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 <laughs> the stories we hear, you know, maybe we should talk more about this and mm. saying something like that'll make more sense, I guess. But I don't think that happens in any of the stories. I think that's just your, your today, right. your today story. Yeah. Um, and so I think I want to start out just with like the Zachary story a little bit, um, because really the thing that happens in the beginning sets him off on this crazy adventure. So he's at college, he's going to a college in Vermont, um, and he's at the library and he's he's going through like the fiction section, just looking at different books, and a book catches his eye, and he and he pulls it out, and um, it's unique because it's definitely old and looks like it's very well-worn and it doesn't have an author name. Um, it just has the title sweet sorrows and he's just interested by the book. And so he takes it with him and it's one of the books he chooses to check out and, uh, it won't check out properly in the library system. And then he has to kind of like, there's a little back and forth about that, but eventually when he gets at home, he starts reading it. Um, it's, it's, I don't want to say short stories, but like little fables, like Livius was saying earlier. And one of the fables, like it says in the synopsis is, uh, exactly something that happened to him when he was a kid, like 14 years earlier or something like that. And it's not like, wow, that's a crazy coincidence. It's literally something that happened to him. And so he, uh, very justifiably becomes obsessed with figuring out, you know, the origins of this book and why he's in it and stuff. And that causes him to start researching, uh, where the, how the library got the book and, and it goes from there. Yeah. And he's a uh, early twenties. He does this research and, uh, eventually he finds one little snippet of something that may, uh, that may lead to some information. So he takes this wild leap cause he becomes kind of obsessed with this book. Mm-hmm. And uh, he finds, I guess we can get into this. It's kind of mentioned a little bit in the synopsis. Uh, the book has some symbols on it, and they are a B, a sword, and a key. And through Googling, um, he comes across a picture of, uh, of a woman that's wearing, uh, that's wearing all three of those necklaces at a party the previous year. And, you know, as, as luck would have it, that same party, that annual uh, charity ball, is happening again in a week or whatever it is. So he decides to try his luck by uh, buying a ticket and showing up at this masked charity event, hoping to find somebody that could uh, give him some more information on this mysterious book. 
Yeah, and the thing I like about the the way that the beginning of Zachary's story starts is that he he does become obsessed with this book, but it's not like in a like a it's like it's more of an affection for it, like he feels weird if it's not around than it is like a like a crazy obsession, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um and so uh not only is he trying to figure out what's going on with this book, but he also um, he has, he feels very possessive of it from the very beginning. And so you're, you're led to believe that this story has some sort of like significant impact outside of what, like just a normal book would, like there might be something a little magical to it or something, even though magic might be a dirty word in this book. <laughs> uh, yeah. So without, you know, giving away too many actual plot points, we can address the, the, you know, the elephant in the room, which is in the synopsis is this, this place, um, the starless sea, um, which is, um, located underground is accessible through various, um, as Rob said, you know, magical, um, means doors everywhere, um, real doors and, 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 um, the idea of doors maybe, a way we could put it Mm -hmm. Um, but it's essentially a place where stories i was going to say books but that's not accurate where stories um go or or end up and they're protected so there's a group of people um consisting of three different specific um roles uh that protect these books so they are keepers acolytes and guardians and uh, we get a little bit of taste of this um, through some of these fables at the beginning on like what the process is to become uh, a keeper, an acolyte, or a guardian. But know that this is an ancient and mysterious um, order of people whose sole purpose is to protect stories. And man, I'm sold right there. Like it's this is kind of like. Uh, uh, you know, I would say this is kind of like junk food for for people who care about books, like the idea that the mythologizing uh, books and reading and stories and, and adding some sort of mystical power to the telling of stories and stuff is just I, I could, you know, I, I could read that kind of shit forever. So once I knew that's where we were going with this, it was I was like, oh, man, I am so bought in for this. And obviously, like the first parallel that i would think of which absolutely i'm sure is the first parallel that you would think of oblivious is um those carlos ruiz afan books um shadow of the wind and all that with the cemetery of of forgotten books i will say that if you knowingly are going to use an element that might make two different guys think (laughs) of the same book yeah and there's books in your story what better way to acknowledge that than to mention said book in your story as a book yep so a uh, big props there and morgan stern who right out right out on front street was like yeah, cemetery forgotten books is a great book or i'm sorry um shadow uh, of the wind yeah thank you shadow of the wind it was a great book or whatever it was i sent rob a picture of it it's like yep. 28 pages in i'm like all right she she gets it she gets that a lot of people are gonna you know think of um this in that way uh, you know I'll, I'll say right now what the difference is for anybody who has read at strong recommendation from both of us uh shadow of the wind or or any of those books so the cemetery of forgotten books possesses maybe a little bit of magic 
Yeah. And the Starless Sea is is essentially all magic. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really where where these two books diverge. And Rob and I talked about it. What did we decide on magical realism is probably a good way right. to describe this book. Yeah. Um, the Starless Sea is is fantasy, pretty close to full blown fantasy. Um, the Cemetery of Forgotten Books is like like Jonathan Carroll books. I know we I think it was Bathing the Lion that we did here on the podcast. Yeah years ago yeah you know it's like that that one's more like things are normal but there's like this little weird twist no the starless sea is is a completely and wholly magical place so i think the similarities end at protecting books uh yeah i'll agree um and yeah and i think that the zafan books are more like um any supernatural element is is like what we have inside ourselves as opposed to like an it unique entity causing magical things to happen. Um, so, uh, but so we can talk about, so Zachary gets down into this area and obviously we're not going to go too deep into some of the plot, but it's kind of cool to see how it goes. It's obvious right off the bat that, um, things are not normal. So he goes down this massive, uh, elevator shaft. He's it's like to the point where he's questioning, am I, is this actually an elevator is actually moving um, into this area where he has to pass these tests in order to gain entrance, which was kind of cool. So there's, it's, it's just fun and interesting um, the way that this otherworldly location is, is played out. So he has to roll some dice and then based on what the dice roll, something somewhere makes a decision about something. And then there's, you know, instructions to drink from a glass and their tests to kind of see what, um, the character will do. And based on how they act, they make decisions about what type of character is inside these people. And the nice thing about this is by the time we get to Zachary and these you know, tests in this kind of underground world, um, we've already been prepared for similar things or to think in that way by these little, uh, snips snippets of, of the fables that are being told throughout the story. So we are ready for these types of things because either we've been told about parts of, of this world, uh, or we've been told about similar things in these fables. So by the time he gets there. It's not like, wait, why is he drinking out of a cup? What the fuck's going on? It totally makes sense. Yeah. And through the course of his journey, um, both, you know, we'll say above ground. So where we are and, um, you know, we'll say underground um, where where this magical place is. He, he interacts with a variety of characters, both both real in the sense <laughs> like he's real. You know what I mean? Um, and, and fantastical, I guess, is what we can say. And I, I don't, we're probably not going to dwell too much on to, you know, that that portion of it. We'll mention some of the characters, but uh, it, it's a mix of, of dealing with people that have had maybe a similar journey to his. And, and then, you know, characters that are vastly different from, uh, you know, from what he knows to be reality. Yeah, a couple of the characters that he runs into uh, early on are, I want to talk about a little bit about Dorian, a little bit about Mirabelle. Um, so the the real first contact he has with 
people of this um, people who are important to that side of the story, the fantastical side of the story is Dorian. So he's at this um, uh, Halloween costume party that Livius explained earlier. And um, he's not doing too great at picking up clues. He's, he's talking to people and, and he's, he's, just trying to figure out what the hell's going on or, or get any information. And at one point he just gets kind of pulled into this darkened room and, uh, in the dark, a man tells a story very well, very convincingly and very like entertainingly. So I would say, and while the story is being told, uh, Zachary's being kind of led through, um, different, uh, he's moving through the, the building. Um, and there's, there's kind of not necessarily effects, but like there's, atmospheric things that are happening to enhance the story, I guess. And, um, so that's his first encounter with Dorian, who, uh, is one of the more important characters, uh, from the, the book. And he is mentioned as the, the bear, the bear in the synopsis, the guy who's barefoot with shifting alliances. Indeed. One of the other people he meets at this party is Mirabelle, um, who turns out, and we find this, I mean, I don't think it's a surprise when you're reading it. Turns out to be the woman who is seen in the original picture um, wearing the, the three symbols that, that lead him to this party. And she is also a key character in, uh, in, in Zachary's involvement or introduction um, to the Starless Sea. And um, I feel like the character he's probably most closely paired with um, throughout the story, if that makes sense, like like the 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 bulk of his involvement um, is with her. Not not to say that it's you know his highest involvement, but he's probably the person. She's probably the person that he's most tied to throughout the course of the story. Um, she's a pretty ter- terrific character. Did you? Or, sorry, are you familiar with um, uh, shit? What's it called where the wild things are? I, I actually am not. Okay, um, you should look up the costume that she's yeah. wearing. <laughs> I looked it up. I'm pulling it up now. But, you know, we're, so we're introduced. He sees this woman in, in the picture and it's a beautiful ball gown. And I'm guessing, you know, one of those type of, uh, you know, mass ball masks or something because he can't see her face. And I was like, I'm not sure about this, where, where the wild things are. But I remember that being kind of a really goofy. I looked up costume and I'm like, man, that's a that's a hell of a costume that she was wearing. So uh, every every picture online, it just looks like a onesie with like, I don't know, I don't want to say rabbit ears, but something along those lines. That's had like a like a little. Oh, crown. Yeah. yeah, I know. So, yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, like, like, wow. Yeah. So um, but yeah, so he meets her there and, and, and those two people really are the are the catalysts for, for his introduction and, and furthering his knowledge and his learning about the, the Starless Sea. Um, there's of course uh, a uh, we'll say a, a antagonist in this, um, and and her name is Allegra. She's uh, so let's say that the people of the Starless Sea are, are trying to protect books. So you would think that the person who's the antagonist is trying to destroy books, and you know what? You couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> like this really <laughs> struck me as as a brilliant as a brilliant move. Um, and, and I don't like, I'm looking to see, I don't know how much I want to say. All I can say is that I was really surprised by her motivations, but surprised in a very pleasing way. Um, when we learn what, what Allegra's motivations are, I'm going to talk about one more character who, um, 
I think is a great part of the story. And that's um, Katrina, who's Zach's um, friend, close friend. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing that they have in common, I guess we didn't talk about this, but Zachary is really um, into designing games. And so is Katrina. So that's kind of their their bonding thing is their um, interest in going into the the game world and developing and designing games. And one of the one of the great things about this is the kind of games. I know you don't play a lot of video games, but and oddly, as somebody who loves literature, I'm not a big fan of this in games. People are like, oh, the story's so great. And when I sit down to play a video game, I, I just want to play. You just want to shoot just, a bunch of people. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know if I'm less appreciative about it in games because I have a place to go and get good stories and good literature. I'm patting the starless sea while I'm saying this is <laughs> absent mindedly. Um, but the, the, the interesting thing about like some of the theories behind video games and how they correlate to stories and stuff in this book, although very subtle are very, very well written. Yeah, and I would have to say that we're reminded in certain points of what might be similarities to gameplay in the way that the story is is come is kind of playing out, which I thought was neat too. Um, like, you know, you're 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 low on health and you drink a potion, like that kind of stuff. So, um, gameplay is absolutely not a major part of it, but like the idea of how video games are another way to tell stories is definitely something that's explored, but not in a way that ever beats you over the head with it, which was I thought was really cool. Yeah, subtle, but yeah. but really well thought out. Yeah, and that's the kind of what I was... So we've got, um, like Livius talked about a little bit, we've got Allegra's interests kind of don't match with the interests of, of the people on the other side, like Mirabelle. Um, but exploring a little bit about Allegra's I want to talk about a mechanic of of the book in general and it has to do with doors so this place that um, Zachary finds uh, in his quest to figure out what's going on with this book um, is accessed through doors which sounds kind of dumb most things are accessed through doors but uh, in a much more magical way. So uh, w- one of the fables that we read uh, toward the beginning of the book has to do with a girl who uh, is just kind of a brave and adventurous, um, uh, curious, I-, I would say, a very curious girl who's walking through a forest by herself and um, just looking at things, you know, and not really too concerned about, like, she's not afraid that she's there alone and all this kind of stuff. But eventually she comes upon a door knocker that's, like, part of a rusted out old door that, you know, was part of a building that, you know, is obviously practically gone. It's been decaying and in disrepair for so long that really there's almost nothing left. But this door that kind of collapsed onto the ground and the door knocker's still there. And so fucking adorably, she'd always heard about or read about or seen pictures of door knockers but never experienced one in real life and so she was so excited that she found what she thought was an actual door knocker and engages with it and that's when this door opens through the ground and she basically falls through into this other world and so there's a very magical connection between what we know as the real world and this other uh, book loving place that is very important to the book and it, it just has to do with certain doors um, are direct access to this place. And some people know about them. Some people don't know about them. 
it's a whole thing, but that's really cool. And, um, as part of Allegra's campaign to get to what she wants to do, which I will be kind of intentionally vague about, um, she destroys doors and that sounds very bad because obviously we want to have access to this magical world, but there's like one of the buildings kind of like the, where her, like a base of operations has doorknobs of destroyed doors hanging Mm-hmm. in display and you never would think that a bunch of doorknobs hanging from ribbons would be chilling but you learn about these doors and then you learn about how they're displayed in this kind of base of operations and it is a chilling effect that was really cool there were so uh, agreed for sure but there were so many things like you, know, you talked about doors and now we've talked about doorknobs I could just tell you that I have a newfound respect for ribbons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that I didn't have before. Does that make sense? Sure. Um the the I was gonna say the symbolism. Some of it's the symbolism, some of it's just symbols. Like we've mentioned the the big three, and I think Rob touched on a, a super important fourth one right there, right? Doors, but bees and swords and keys come up. You know, you said that it's always um, Zachary Ezra Rollins, his full name. Yeah. If you remove Zachary Ezra Rollins and you remove the words B, sword, key, and door yeah. from this book, I think we'd probably lose 70 pages. <laughs> That's no exaggeration. Yeah. But they come up in a way that they have meaning and that there is a uh, gravity to most of the times these come up like almost in a way um that like if you see a bee you know something important is going you know, does mm-hmm. that make sense and i'm not saying that across the board but i mean it's it's they they get to the point you're not very far into the book where any of those words like your ears perk up a little bit and you're like all right i'm gonna pay attention here because this, yep. this this is likely something important, um, and, and it was done. I mean, masterfully. It's the the only way I can say it. Yeah, I'd agree. I'm I'm kind of conflicted about how much more do we talk about because we probably are we going to do spoiler talk for this? How can we not do spoiler talk for this? So yeah, at this point, um, the we're not going to go deeper into the story because it'll spoil. So we're going to jump over to spoiler talk for that, but um, we've laid a lot of groundwork for a lot of stuff going on. And it's one thing I'll say about the story is that it's very dense. There's a lot of information and you're getting a lot of stuff coming from different angles, but the general story now is um, Zach's kind of quest for discovery of what's going on. Um, And then you've got these kind of two conflicting interests and what they want um, to do with this kind of magical realm that most of us don't know about, I guess is the best way to sum up the, the forward motion of what the rest of the story is about. Yeah. And this is a good time. Rob and I are going to head over to spoiler talk to talk about the other 400 pages of this book. (laughs) (laughs) In the event that you're not aware Patreon.com slash booked is where we do our spoiler talk. Uh, Any level of contribution. So starting at $1 a month gets you access to all those. Again, you should only go listen to spoiler talk. If you've read the book, 
or if you're never going to read the book, because I mean, we it's odd. We kind of always start at the end in spoiler talk. I don't know that we will this time, but <laughs> it, it's like we get over there and we're like last goddamn page, you know. So when we say spoiler talk, we're, we're not kidding. So um, there won't be any time for that. We're going to do it because it makes sense to us to do it now instead of afterwards. So uh, just know that in this millisecond before we return, we will have spent probably quite a bit of time talking about the Starless Sea spoiler talk over on Patreon. All right, we are back from a uh, very good, very good spoiler talk conversation. This is the kind of book where you have to just lay it all out, and um, it helps to kind of crystallize your understanding of of the deeper meaning of the story. So I'm very glad that we did the spoiler talk because without it, I think I would have more questions, and I don't know if if my appreciation would be as well-rounded. For sure, for sure. And a certain clarity comes from being able to to talk about, and like Rob said, especially this type of book, but a book that's this um, interwoven, intricate, Yep. Um, sometimes things are missed. I legitimately just had questions. I was like, dude, do you know this part? Like, did you understand this part? You know, that kind of thing. And uh, it's always a, it's always a good, uh, a good thing to have. So I, I guess what I'm saying, I think I've said it here before. Um, you know, if you read books and you want to let us talk about them, that's probably okay. Find someone to read books with. I'm really lucky to have Rob in this podcast so that I know that, you know, the vast majority of books I read in a year, I have someone um, to talk to about them. I 100% agree. Mm-hmm. Before we roll into the uh, wrap ups, I have a couple of notes I want to make. Um, they're not necessarily quotes, but they're parts of the book that I thought were worth um, pointing out. And so uh, the first one. It takes place earlier in the book when uh, Zachary's attending the costume party. And uh, I think Livius even kind of talked about little parts of it earlier. Um, There's a costume that was mentioned that I am 100% sure you didn't pick up on. But to the fans of this author, it is probably the coolest shit you will ever read. There's a there's one that I was pretty sure was a Harry Potter reference. Is that what you're going for? No. Oh, never mind then. Proceed. All it says is, a man in a suit has a towel draped over his shoulder. Does that mean anything to you? No, nothing at all. All right. So I'm I'm not going to go too deep into it, but you've heard of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I have. Douglas a lot Adams. from you. Yeah. Uh, so fans of the. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books should immediately recognize the mention of a towel. Uh, Towels in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy are kind of the... uh, It's like the Swiss Army knife of surviving space travel, more or less, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Um, In different parts of the different books, he kind of goes into how they can be useful. But it's just a generally known thing for the people who hitchhike through the galaxy that you always want to know where your towel is. So... It was absolutely a nod to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and it is so significant to Douglas Adams as a, as a writer, but also to the, the fan base, that when Douglas Adams died, um, the the remembrance of him is an annual event called Towel Day. Towel Day is celebrated by just doing your normal like daily work, but you carry around a towel with you. Hmm. That's, uh, that's cute. So, like, if you want to talk about a... Very 
like low key tribute to an author. If that wasn't about Douglas Adams, I will be fucking surprised. There are so many mentions. We talked about this a little bit. Spoiler talk, but there's there's quite a few mentions and of actual like named books, but then there's also the the nods too. Yep. Which you know you got to give her credit to because I, I think of other books that take place in that and they'll only address fictional books. You know right. what I mean? Like like if it's a fictional book about you know whatever where books come into play a lot of times they they shy away from name dropping an an author or whatever she didn't do that here and it's a book that's all about stories and how can you not (laughs) you know what i mean like how can you not address that there are other stories that exist in our world yeah so i have to imagine that there's a ton of references we didn't catch too so it would be interesting to see like like you said, some guy's going to come up with the uh, the outline of the entire book or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like the list of literary references would be cool to check out. Hey, while we're on stories, I've got one quote. We talked about this a little bit in spoiler talk, and I want to mention it here that, you know, this isn't a book about books. It's a book about stories and stories in all types of forms. And, and I, I, this, a character says this, it's fairly short quote. Do you ever think about how many stories are out there? How many dramas are unfolding around us right at this very moment? I wonder how long a book you would need to record them. You'd probably need an entire library to hold a single evening in Manhattan, an hour, a minute. Mm-hmm. And this is a book about stories within stories and that reminds us that stories are all around us and stories aren't just your Kindle copy of something or, um, you know, the, the book you picked up at, uh, at Walgreens or, you know, at, at Barnes and Noble. And, and I think she did, she did write by stories. I mean, like did seriously write by stories in this book. Yeah. On that note, since you're getting all like choked up and shit, you wanna you wanna kick off uh, wrap ups? I uh, I will do wrap ups. This book is um, I've said it several times now. It's very intricate. Um, it's it's uh, it, it, there's world building. Um, it looks at stories from pretty much every angle. You know, I touched on it earlier, the stories uh, in, in, in games, video games uh, mostly, but, you know, in games in general and, and the different way that stories are are put out there. So novel, um, verbally <laughs> written on a flower, little folded up um, uh, pieces of paper folded into stars and discarded places that cats can push around. Um, just countless ways that we can... Uh, share stories uh, amongst ourselves and and with others. And then there's, you know, these two um, groups that, that are looking at this, this, the same thing in two very different ways. Um, and their motivations are, are, are kind of similar. Um, and, and we're taken through this journey. That's, that's, um, you know, obviously fantasy, but I think really makes you look at um, story telling as a whole um it's been eight years since um aaron published a book and i think that you know when it takes you eight years you've almost got to come out with something like this to redeem yourself if this was if this book was 30 percent less good than the night circus and eight years had gone by even if we liked it it would have felt like a failure so Aaron Morgenstern, 
on her second book, in my opinion, has become a master storyteller, which is a, a phenomenal um, feat. I, I almost worry that she can't top this book because this is here we go. <laughs> it's November. It's the best book I've read this year. I, I was thinking about this earlier today, and it comes up from time to time. Like I almost have to re-examine every now and then you read a book and you think to yourself, well, I have to give this, you know, the highest rating I can. And then I think, no slight to the other ones. I think, man, I've given out five stars to books that that couldn't hold a candle to this book, um, which is not the fault of those people. And I read those books. Those books were great. And those books had no faults or were so entertaining or had something about them. But this book is transcendent. This is passed up um, a great number of books. It's not the best book I've ever read. I'm not going to go that far. It's definitely the best book I've read this year. I kind of spent, Rob unknowingly, <laughs> it's provided me with a list of books. <laughs> and I was scrolling through them looking this year, and I was like, yeah, yeah, no, there's nothing. I could probably go back another year and find out there wasn't anything better than this. So um, one of the most beautifully written, um, so beautifully told stories. Um, I'm going to have to change how I how I handle stories um, after reading this one. So one of the most beautifully told stories that, that I've read in a very, very long time. If you listen to the Patreon thing, I'm going to recycle the joke from over there. Um, I'm going to give it all the stars that are missing from the starless sea. And then Rob will have to figure out the math. Oh, no. How does that go in my spreadsheet? <laughs> I, I think it's oh, five shit. stars. Yeah. But that's see, that's the problem. Like I said, if I look at other five star books, I go, "Look, I really like that book." Yeah. But fuck, it's almost like I have to force rank them. Like, like the the, the hundreds of books. Yeah, you'll have to yeah. just go when I go. Hey, yeah, uh, listen, uh, this book was great as a five stars. You're gonna have to go. Is it better than the Starless Sea? And I'll go, no. So, yeah. all right. Well, and then we'll have to like do like adjusted stars, like you know, once we they're forced anyway. I don't know if we're going to go that far. Yeah, we probably shouldn't. <sighs> All right. Um, I'm going to try and address different things than what Livius talked about because he's right about everything he said. Uh, I will say, I want to I want to confirm uh, what Livius said at the end about her being a master storyteller. This is a storyteller's book. Um, there are people who write novels. You can be a novelist. You can be an author. You can be a writer. You can be a storyteller, and I think there are nuance, uh, nuances in the difference between those things. Um, it is something different to be a storyteller, and she does a wonderful job of, of harnessing our imaginations and, and uh, like bringing us along for a journey that is just incredible. I think the story was great did a great job of making you care about the characters, um, care about the history of what was going on. Um, it was, it had titillation in moments where things happened that you didn't expect. There was tons of emotion, um, in, in places where things happened that, you know, got you, got you by the feels. It was just an entertaining experience. Um, and I will say it's not, a quick it's not a beach read guys this is 500 pages of very dense information um livius i'm cutting into my my <laughs> cutting into to my wrap-up for this how long would it usually take you to read 500 pages um 
nine hours. How long do you think it took you to read this? Longer like, than that. You're like nine hours. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Like no. I. Yeah. I would say that this would be usually a two sitting book for me. Um, and this is absolutely the kind of book that, you know, I did kind of push it at the end and, and spend a lot of yesterday reading a good amount of this book. But um, this is the type of book that I needed to parse out, parcel out over multiple days if I were smart and not lazy and waiting to the last minute because it's dense. And the thing about it is the way the story is told makes you not want to skim. It makes you want to live in the story that's being told. And that's why I'm emphasizing the storytelling thing because you enjoy every moment of it. It's not like something is being used as a, a mechanic of some kind to get you to the information you want. It's all just something like if I never made it past halfway through the book, I'd still appreciate everything that I read. Um, even if I didn't get to the end, if that makes sense. And that is very uncommon. And so I'm going to, I'm going to mirror what Livia said. She did a fucking incredible job with night circus and so I had a lot of hopes up for this and I feel like my hopes were kind of confirmed, I guess, if that makes sense. Like what I was hoping for, I kind of felt like that was what this was going to be pretty early on in the book within the first like third of the book or so, just because like I said, you could live in every individual moment of this book and be happy with it. Um, so I'm going to stop gushing. You guys know it's a five-star book. It's fucking incredible. And um, I can't wait for, Eight years from now, when the next <laughs> Aaron Morgenstern book comes out, <laughs> yeah, I um, it's going to be daunting, man. So, I, I, here's a thought. So, one thing I forgot to ask: Did you get a at, at any point? Do you think there might have been a nod to the raw shark texts? Uh, you might have to give me clues. Sure. So it takes place on a little boat. Ah, I didn't. All right, <laughs> but my I thought the same thing. I thought Stephen Hall is going to have a hell of a time. Yeah, um, topping that. We're going to find out soon um, if if he could pull off an Aaron Morgenstern, where like ten yeah. years have gone by, and and it's always it's just got to be daunting. Like I I don't know if as the creator of the book she quite understands what she did here, and, and this is the part that sucks. Sorry, Aaron, if you're listening, and how fucking hard it's going to be to deliver to this level again. Book three. <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree. But like how much of that is on the author and how much is that? This is like that George R.R. R. Martin. He doesn't want to finish the series bullshit because all the fans are assholes. Um, I fall on the side of like if she dipped out right now and never came back to like being an author. I mean, she for decades will be far superior to. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, the thing with Martin is he's got an unfinished story out there and yeah, people true. who read the thousands of pages or whatever that, <laughs> you know what I mean? He probably owes it to him. Here's what I'll say. I think we can take responsibility for George R. R. Martin, not, not writing that, the next book because he was obviously so emotionally damaged by us not showing up to interview him. I know, right? In Stoker guy in 2017. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> so we have to own that at well, least a little bit. Yeah, I guess if we run into him again, we'll have to throw him the, the pity interview so he can get on with his yeah. with his career. And if you, we're totally not this. <laughs> I, I, we made that sound much worse than it is. 
<laughs> the scheduling thing, not even our scheduling thing. It was the 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 completely inept person that set it up. At any yeah. rate, um, George R. R. Martin at one point was waiting for us to interview him. <laughs> I was on a plane on my way back to Chicago. Yeah. Rob was probably day drunk or whatever. And... I was at the gate at LAX waiting oh, for that's my right. waiting yeah, to board yep. my flight. Yep. yep. So. Um, so at any rate, but it it's was, fun yeah. to say that we blow off George R. R. Martin because, you know, we can say it. We can so. say, yeah, it's hundred percent true. Anyway, right. um, we're going to, I think we're going to cut this pretty short. Uh, one, uh, one thing I want to say is today, the day recording this November 5th is the release date for the little blue kite. Mark Z. Danieluski, if you have not gotten your copy, head on over to Amazon and purchase yourself one, or probably maybe in your local bookstore. It's kind of a weird book because it's kind of like marketed as a children's book. So I don't know how much exposure this is going to get at the the Barnes and Noble. But um, uh, today's the day. We had the interview a few weeks ago. I just wanted to remind everybody that that is now a thing that you can do. Yeah. And uh, if you didn't listen to our review, go back and check it out. We obviously really thought it was a it was a well, I guess it wasn't really a review. It was an interview with like a little quick review tacked on at the end. Uh, we liked it a lot. My uh, my official copy came today, like the non nice. arc copy. Um, and I hate to say it, but I didn't even I forgot to open the box, so um, it's sitting in a box downstairs. All right, I have to go look at that because I heard it's much prettier than the arcs that we got, and I heard that from Mark himself. So, a <laughs> uh, couple things. Uh, next couple weeks are going to be a little weird. I'm not going to promise what you're going to hear. Some of it might sound a lot like something you may have heard fairly recently. Um, and then, uh, there's going to be another weird episode twice this year. I get to pull off a weird episode because Rob's out of town and when the cat's away, the mice will fucking do their own podcasting. So, or something like God that. Damn it. Something you see, you don't tell the cat in advance that you're going to be doing your own <laughs> podcasting. I like that I'm the cat in this, uh, particular situation. Yeah. So, um, so there's gonna be some, some, some bizarre things coming up, um, on the podcast for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> While Rob um, is on uh, on vacation, visiting with friends of the podcast, Misty and Jesse, and and some other friends of the podcast, and I'll let Rob talk about any of that after you know whatever after the fact. So who knows? Maybe there'll be some content to be shared from from uh, his uh, one of the stops on his trip. Oh man, what if I just recorded myself the entire drive by myself? That would be um, that that would be something. Welcome so, to Rob. Uh, yeah. Hey, and if you're thinking it's been a little longer than normal since the last episode, um, Facebook.com slash book podcast, I think, whatever the book podcast Facebook page has the Halloween video episode. I, I got to warn you, after probably about an hour and 40 minutes or so, just turn it off. Save yourself. <laughs> Save yourself before the, the complete descent into debauchery and madness that, that happens on all of our holiday episodes. I tell you this like three, four times a year. I'm sure nobody listens. Yeah. Uh, no different. If you get the four of us together, it starts off um, kind of fun, maybe a little grating at times, <laughs> and then it just descends into fucking madness. So uh, the more drunk we get, the rougher it, it goes. Um, but we had a lot of fun, and we're going to be doing it again in like six weeks or something because the book holiday oh, yeah. party is coming up. So um, the the Halloween episode should be uh, a, a, get a good idea of what you might expect. Maybe there'll be a little bit less red lights in the uh, in the <laughs> holiday office party than there were in the the Halloween one, but you know that's out there too. So we're not sure if that's going to make it to you in audio or not. But it lives 
in perpetuity on our Facebook page. All right. I think that's going to, that's going to wrap it up. Um, Oh, nope. No, I'm not letting you off without a key page update, Livius. Oh, I'm very excited about this. So this is a very special key page update because with the completion of uh, the Starless Sea, which is the 29th book that we've reviewed this year, we are officially over 10,000 pages. We are at 10,151 for the year. Oh, I want to slow clap, but that's so bad for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, nice. clapping, yeah. not, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, um, that's terrific. I know that our schedule's a little light the rest of the year, so I'll be honest with you. We'll probably get to 30 books, maybe 31, 32. <laughs> um, yeah. But not bad. Yeah. Well, we had we had a strong... We had basically the anti-lazy uh, summer of podcasting. We had, like, the busy summer of podcasting. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like, a couple weeks ago, our uh, roster just kind of fell off. So that's fine, you know. We we have families to spend time with during the holidays and stuff, so we'll we'll keep giving you content. But I'm not sure about the books just yet. Yeah. Now let's talk about while we're on it. I mean, I could tell you that there's already <laughs> I don't know a dozen books for 2020. Um, oddly enough, March and April, like a hundred percent booked at this point. <laughs> like this, we got nothing January, February, but you get into March and April, uh, we're we're pretty good. So there's there's a lot of good stuff coming up. Um, next year, not to say there won't be good stuff this year, but I, I keep telling you guys, Wheel of Meat is coming. It will be a Wheel of Meat book, probably late November. So, my silence. Um, I, I think is conspicuous. So I used a little bit of a music sound effects on the last episode on on the Facebook uh, live. <laughs> um, I feel like when I say Wheel of Meat, there should be some horror movie. Like, right. you know, like music in the background. So, cause that's how Rob feels about the wheel of meat. Uh, yeah. Meat is murder. Meat is delicious murder. <laughs> say it right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, join us very soon for some Rob's on vacation shenanigans until that happens. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. <laughs>